Open up your Bibles, if you will, to Luke's Gospel, the 24th chapter. We're going to begin reading uh, here a verse we read last week. We shared and talked about how, and the title actually is called Unveiled, but how that there are things hidden in the Old Testament about Jesus, about the church, you know, and about things to come. It's real interesting that thousands of years before things ever came about, uh, you could read about a lot of it, you know, that was written thousands of years ago, uh, then come to pass later in different generations. It's very interesting and very accurate. And we're not going to get into all of it because we're not going to stay here for a month every day. But we're going to read a couple of things here in Luke 24, 27. It says this, And beginning at Moses, this was Jesus talking to some of his disciples after he had risen from the dead. And it says, in beginning at Moses and and all the prophets, he expounded to them in the scriptures the things concerning him. Well, what does that mean when it says Moses and the prophets? Well, basically, he was saying in the holy scriptures, what were written, he said, I'm going to show you what was written about me years ago. And so as he walked along the road, he started showing stuff that was in there about himself. You know, hundreds of years before Jesus came on the earth, the Bible said that they would pierce his hands and pierce his feet. That he would be whipped so bad, he would be able to look upon himself and see his own like ribs. He had gotten whipped, you know, with a type of punishment by the Romans that didn't exist when it was first written in the Bible. That's real interesting. And so, but we can see through the scriptures, Jesus expounded and showed himself or what he was going to do. So after he had gotten crucified, he literally walked on the road after he rose from the dead with a couple of his disciples and said, it was written thousands of years ago, I would do this. And he showed him, look, right here, right here. And, and he explained and expounded the scriptures. Turn to Hebrews, the 10th chapter, about himself. And about, really, there are other things hidden in there. Hebrews, the 10th chapter. And we're going to read just the first half of the first verse. It says, for the law, now what did he explain from the law and the prophets? Well, the law are the first five books of the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and so on. But he said, for the law, having a shadow of good things to come, and not the very image of the things... Now, what he's saying is, and there are other places, that he explains that in the Bible there are what are called types and shadows. You know, you could read right by that and not realize what is a shadow. Well, it tells you it's not the very image, but it does give us a glimpse, but not real clear. You, you can walk in the parking lot when the sun is coming up and see the shadow of a tree and you, you could make certain things out about it, but you maybe wouldn't know until you saw the very object. And then it would bring clarity to the tree. You'd go, oh, that's a, this type of tree. But by the shadow, you may not know. But it does tell you there's an object hidden right in plain sight. And, you know, there are things in the Old Testament and, you know, in the book of Revelation too, but in the Bible that are really in plain sight. And when you look at them, you can see they show a picture. So turn to Genesis, I'm sorry, Judges. Genesis, and we'll look in the 14th chapter. And you turn where you want to, because I told you go to both, uh, but Judges, sorry about that. Judges. And some stories, you know, show a picture of an event back then and one to come. And for example, we talked about this last week 
about the bitter waters of, of Marah, or Mara, depending on how you pronounce it, and how that all the children of Israel were brought out of Egypt by Moses, and Moses is really a picture of Jesus delivering people out of bondage and out of sin and trying to take them to the promised land. And so they came up out of the land and they needed water, but the water was bitter. And so they said, we're going to starve if we don't have water, you know, or die of dehydration. This we're done for. And he said, well, you know, what do I do, Lord? We've got water, but what we have is real bitter. And so the Lord said, take a branch or and throw it in the water and it'll make the bitter sweet and everybody will be able to drink of it. And we talked about last week how that the cross is called a tree and how that the world thinks it's foolish, but God uses it to change a bitter heart and cause living water to be inside of them. It's not Moses who deals with the wood. It's the Lord who is nailed to the wood and makes a change. And there are pictures like that, like when uh, God told Abraham, who had a promised son, who couldn't be born naturally, like a picture of Mary, a virgin, having Jesus, and he said, I want you to offer up your only son. And he thought, oh, okay, I'll do it. And he goes to do it, but on the way, he, he said, we need to collect wood to uh, do sacrifice so he told his son, you know, here's some wood, put it on your shoulder and carry it to the place of sacrifice. Sound familiar? If you read the Bible, when Jesus was about to be sacrificed, God's only son, what did he do? They compelled him to carry his cross to the place where he would be sacrificed. Once he was sacrificed, everything was paid for for humanity. What's wild is right before Abraham was going to offer up his only son and had carried up the sacrifice, he said, I see that you do not refuse, therefore I will bless you. And in blessing him, he blessed humanity, just like the Lord did. So we can see different pictures in the Old Testament. And how many of you know Samson? Or Samson, not Samson. But you can spell it how you want to in your notes. But we know the story because we know he's that strong guy. But you know what's real interesting? There are hidden pictures of the Lord in the church in his life. Let me say that again. There are hidden pictures of the Lord and, and the church in Samson's life. So right here in Judges 14 verse 6. And there's one of them we want to target, but I want to kind of go through a couple of these pictures so you can see it for yourself. Verse 6 of the 14th chapter. And the Spirit of the Lord came on him, on Samson, mightily. And he tore, because he encountered this young lion, he tore this lion apart as one would have torn apart a young goat. In other words, you know, somebody could kill a little lamb or a little goat by their bare hands. The power of God came on Samson and he ripped a young lion. And that's when they're strong. And he tore this thing apart and killed it. And he did not tell his father or his mother that he had done this thing. And then verse 7 says, so he went down and talked with the woman, and she pleased Samson well. Verse 8, and you have to read this in its context. After some time, when he had returned uh, to get her, he turned aside to see the carcass of the lion, and behold, a swarm of bees and honey were in the carcass of the lion. Somebody said, okay, that's a cool story. He, he The power of God came on him. He... Uh, goes and gets this bride or this woman. And uh, when he comes back, he turns off to look at the lion that he had torn up. And there are bees all over it. And now there's a beehive with honey. And he actually took that. But there's honey in there now. What was a killer is now a defeated thing. 
and it has totally changed. Well, think about this. Who did Jesus defeat when he died and rose again? The Bible said he defeated Satan, said he stripped him of his power, and the devil is called a roaring lion. And he goes about, the Bible said, seeking whom he may devour. And he said, now, because of the Lord's victory, we can have victory over him. And so you see a picture here of this deliverer killing a lion, uh, and then it turns that what would have caused destruction, now there's honey there. I'll tell you what, people who are troubled by the enemy, they can know the Lord has done something, they can stand their ground, and where it was tearing or danger, it can be sweet again. And there are pictures like this in these stories. Here's another one. Judges uh, 15, verse 4 and 5. And this one to me is real interesting. Verse 4, then Samson went and caught 300 foxes. And he took torches and turned the foxes tail to, to tail and put a torch between each pair of tails and when he had set the torches on fire, so you get this picture of these foxes he has trapped, he is caught, and uh, then he puts a torch in between two tails and ties a torch there, and then he lights this fire, and what does he do with these two foxes that are tied together? He lights this, and then it says... Uh, and when he had set the torches on fire, he let the foxes go into the standing grain of the Philistines and burned up both the torches and the standing grain as well as the vineyards and olive branches. Somebody might say, what does that have to do? Remember when Jesus came on the earth? What was one of the first things he did? He, he, as soon as he started ministry, he prayed to the Lord, who should I pick that would be disciples? And he picked 12, then he picked 70. And then what did he do after they got to watch him do some ministry? If you read, it said he gathered them together and then he divided them up two by two and then gave them power and authority to go into the enemy's ground and the world is called the harvest. Remember Jesus said, the harvest is plenteous. He called people a harvest. He said, the laborers are few. I need to send more than I've been sending. And what does he do? He gives them power through a message to reach people. This picture here shows, like the disciples being put two by two together, being given authority, because remember when the Holy Spirit came upon the early church? It said it looked like fire. And then what did he say? Don't go until you get power and it showed up like fire. And he said, as soon as you do it, go reach the world, which the Bible calls a harvest. You don't harvest people who are already, already harvest. And here they show a picture or shows a picture of these foxes being tied together, fire being put on them, and going into the grain or the harvest of the world or people who don't know God because these were pagans and burns up the whole harvest. Well, there's a picture. Now remember, it's not an exact picture because these are called shadows. It's not an exact image. But it does show us like Jesus sent people out two by two and gave them the fire of God. Remember what John the Baptist said about Jesus? When he comes, what did he say that the being filled with the power would look like? He said, I, I will baptize with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. And so we see here another shadow or picture of the Lord. And an interesting one at that. 
I wonder if this is one of the ones that Jesus showed his disciples and said, remember, uh, you know, after he had risen from the dead, how I sent you guys out? Look at this. Remember when Samson sent these people out? Are these foxes out? And he set fire in between them and had great effect? Because he went through all the way through and showed himself. Well, let's look at another one. And this one is the one I want to target. Judges 16. Now we know this, that the church, people who are truly born again, who have received the Lord, is the body of Christ. Christ is the head, the church is the body. So really, uh, would there be pictures of only the head in the Old Testament? Or the head and the body? Well, you can see the head and the body in the last illustration we showed. Right? The body being the foxes. The head being Samson. And then the power being the fire. Well, is there, is there anything else in this? Well, there are. And this one to me is, is, is a very interesting picture. Judges 16... Verse 15. Notice when you read them, things become unveiled. Judges 16, verse 15. Samson uh, has been going along in his life, and uh, Samson, at this point in his life, uh, has started to compromise, which is a bummer, but he's kind of dabbling. And uh, with some things he knew he shouldn't be dabbling with. And uh, it was wild that God kept using him. And he's dating this girl who he should not have been dating. She doesn't know the Lord. Uh, his parents even warned him. You know, authorities over him said, don't do that. Pick one from among your own. And he's like, no, this is cool, man. I got this covered. And they're like, don't do this. And he's like, no. I mean, and you look, Samson had this problem before. I'm not going to tell you some of the things. You can go read it and you'll go, oh, what? But he kept dabbling with something he shouldn't have. And they even gave instruction. You need to go this way, Samson. Don't do this. But he met Delilah. She must have been good looking, I guess. I don't know. I mean, I'm thinking. But anyway, verse 15 says this. Then she said to him, well, let me explain a little more. So Delilah and Samson have been dating for a while now. You know, they're, they're a thing. And uh, what's happening is, is Delilah is uh, tempting him. And what it is, is Samson has been being used by God and used by God. And he has some secrets that he cannot compromise in certain areas. And if he compromises in those areas, he will lose his strength. And then what he should be doing for God, he can't, even if he attempts in the natural. Because if you read through Samson's life, as he progressed, even in his errors, power and the power of God was on display. To me, this is a picture of the church. It can be individually something God would deal with this about. But Samson here uh, has been fooling with something he shouldn't. And he has secrets and things that he should not compromise in because if he crosses the line in these areas, it'll just wipe the power out and he's going to be on his own. And what's interesting is uh, he has compromised in different areas, so maybe it made it easier for him to compromise in this area. You know, well, I've been dating her. Nothing really big has happened yet. And it's nice because I get to lay my head on her lap and she rub my back. Or we'll see that or whatever. I'm sure liking this. And it's not costing me too much. 
I mean, I don't have to pay for a massage. Amen. Just loosens up my shoulders. I know I should be dating somebody else, but see, nothing really bad is happening. And we jump into the story. This is the, and, and what's happening is what he didn't realize is what he had been compromising with was about to rob his strength. Or attempting to. Look at this. Verse 15. Then she said to him, How can you say, I love you? He shouldn't have ever said that. When your heart is not with me, you have mocked me these three times. Because she kept trying to wear him down to get him to change. Because he was really in control of the situation. And he said, you have told me where your great strength lies. And it came to pass when she pestered him daily. In other words, she just kept speaking to him, speaking to him, speaking to him with her words and pressed him so that his soul was vexed to death. Literally, uh, it, it talks about how when she talked, she said she just wore him out to death, spoke him to death. Literally, it tells us in other translations, she just wore him out and wearied him down. Because she was in a relationship with him, and he shouldn't have been in that relationship, and it was wearing him down. Hallelujah. Just wearing him down. But it's okay. See, I'm okay. I can handle this. I can handle this. And he told her all of his heart. Well, he had already told her before, oh, this is what has to happen, this is what has to happen. But he had finally gotten weakened, and he had been playing with this so long, he did the ultimate. And he said to her, no razor has ever come upon my head for I have been a Nazarite to God uh, from my mother's womb, and this is a vow they had to take. And if I am shaven, then my strength will leave me, and I shall become weak and be like any other man. You know, in relationships, sometimes people are attracted to other people uh, because they see like, wow, there's something about them. And really it's the Christian life and value that they have. They see some light, not realizing that, that trying to get them on the wrong terms can bring compromise and they, that gets squashed. Hallelujah. And just people, there's lots of other things. But what if this is a picture of the church? And that the church as a whole has kind of played with things. And played with things. And played with things and then found it's not walking in the power it should. Because they let some secrets out and started doing things that everybody else in the world did. Because doesn't that sound like a weird thing if you cut your hair? Everybody's like, I get my hair cut every three weeks. And if it's like three and a half, I'm like, hey, we need to do something here. But notice, he said, I, this is what will make me weak. He had been worn down to finally really compromise. In verse 18, when Delilah saw that he had told her all his heart, now he still is strong at this point. Up until this razor and he doesn't even know what has gone on. And it said, and he called, and she called for the lords of the Philistines, saying, come up at once, for he has told me his heart. So the lords of the Philistines came up to her and brought the money in their hand because she was getting paid off. What a relationship. You know, all relationships that are wrong are robbers. 
They just are. All relationships are robbers that are wrong. That doesn't mean every relationship is with a person. Some people have a relationship with themselves, their own priorities, their own ways, and they don't put the Lord first. Did my microphone go blank there for a minute, or did I just quit talking? Oh. And it says, then she lulled him to sleep on her knees. See, here comes that massage. <laughs> oh, this, I love, and I love getting to put my head on her lap and just taking a nap. This is so good. But this nap was a different one, and he called, and they, and called for a man and had him shave off the seven locks that were on his head. Then she began to torment him. Wow, this relationship has changed real quick. And his strength left him. I mean, you think about it. Even at the point of telling him, this is where my strength lies, he could have got up and ran, but he didn't. He just said, I'm going to go put my head on her lap. One more time. I mean, he could have. He could have got up and ran and just said, enough is enough, you know. But he didn't, and off came the hair, and off went the power. And when he woke up from the sleep and said, I'm sorry, let's start at verse 20. And she said, the Philistines are upon you, Samson. Think about it. He's still in this relationship of compromise. And he awoke from his sleep and said, I will go out as before, at other times, shake myself free. In other words, they're going to come on me and I'm going to win. But he did not know that the Lord had departed from him or literally the strength that God had anointed him with. Then the Philistines took him and put out his eyes. This, this is a picture. Put out his spiritual eyes, not just natural, so to speak. And brought him down to, to Gaza and they bound him with bronze fetters, and he became a grinder in the prison. Wow. He had a career change. And he didn't need the bronze fetters. At this point, he couldn't break free from those. He, he couldn't have broke free from ropes at this time. But think about it. The bondage became greater when he lost his power. And now he's got a different career. He's a grinder of wheat. And he's in prison. This to me is such an interesting story. Verse 22, it says, However, the hair of his head began to grow again after it had been shaven. How many of you know this was not a week's event or months? It took a long time for this to happen. And if you read on, they would just mock him and say, oh, the reason why uh, they, that we were able to get victory is because of our false gods. Isn't it interesting that there became an exaltation of false gods and false religion right at this time? Because of the weakness Samson was walking in, they didn't see a demonstration of power. And so they said, well, the reason they're weak is because of our gods have given us victory over him. And they would party and carry on and they would mock him. And they did this for long periods of time. And he's in prison. And, and however long it took him to get his hair back out, and some people are probably more aware of how long this would take than others. You know, because some people like, I'd cut my hair short, but it takes this long to get it back to here. Nobody knows how that is, right? And then it's like, oh, uh, it can take a long time. Well, it was a long time he's in there, and he's in bondage. Verse 25, so it happened 
when their hearts were merry, one of these great party times of mocking, it says that they said, call for Samson, that he may perform for us. I mean, this guy turned into a circus clown. Not literally. You get what I'm saying? I mean, he literally, they just so mock him. They said, let's get him in here and make him perform for us. I mean, he goes from a deliverer to a clown. And he wasn't in control of his returned strength. It was a process. But notice this, that they said, call for Samson that we may... Uh, that he may perform for us. So they called for Samson from the prison, and he performed for them. Ugh. Has the church performed for the world? Ugh. I'm not saying every part of the church, but have parts of the church performed for the world. And it says, and he performed for them, and they stationed him between the pillars. So, you know, there's there in this big temple place, and there's pillars holding up an upper floor. It says, then Samson said to the lad, or to this young kid that was with him, if you read the story, and he, I mean, think about it. A little kid is guiding him now. A young kid. Because he's no threat. But notice this. And he said, let me feel the pillar, Samson tells this kid, which support the temple so that I can lean on them. Well, Samson has noticed my hair is finally back after all this time. And he said, you just... Let me lean up against the pillar here. And verse 27 says, Now the temple was full of men and women and all the lords of the Philistines, where there were about 3,000 men and women on the roof watching while Samson performed. Verse 28, Then Samson called on the Lord, saying, O Lord, remember me, I pray strengthen me, and that's what would happen when that power would come when he had long hair, but his hair's back. He, he quit cutting his hair, so to speak. He's got it back. And it says, just this once, O oh God, that I may with one blow take vengeance on the Philistines for my two eyes. But notice, and Samson took hold of the two middle pillars which supported uh, the temple, and he braced himself against them, one on his right and the other on his left. Then Samson said, let me die with the Philistines. And he pushed with all his might. You know, it's interesting. He always used his own might before. And when he acted on the truth, then God's power would begin to assist him. That's what happened when they overcame him that time. He tried to act, but he had compromised and the power didn't back him. Now he's back in a position where he can use his own might and God's power backed him. And it said, and he pushed with all his might and the temple fell on the Lord's and all the people who were in it. So the dead that he killed at his death were more than he had killed in his whole life. That is an awesome story. You say, why? Because if it is a picture of the church, then he's saying the church can walk in strength and do more in its last days than it did in its first days. Turn with me, if you will, to Romans, the 13th chapter. Romans 13. And once you get there, I'm going to tell a story that I did not think about until I was praying and getting ready this morning. And this scripture, we'll read this and then we'll close. But there was a, a 
world-known minister who was in prevalence. Some of you may have heard his name. He was in South America. His name was Tommy Hicks. He was a missionary that was well-known uh, for his work down there and then into the 60s. As a matter of fact, a very prominent minister in the United States who basically was called the father of Christian TV, uh, Lester Summerall, because he started doing Christian TV and owned televisions and radio stations. And, uh, you know, back in the 50s and 60s, he started, you know, or I guess it would have been in the 60s, acquiring some of these different avenues to reach people. Well, I remembered hearing him read this vision. You can find this online, but I'm not going to read through it. But he had a vision. And uh, Lester Summerall shares it, and he did on his TV thing programs. And he explained, you know, in talking about how God shows people visions and different things, he was saying he knows this guy and endorsed him that he was really somebody valid. Well, he told this story of about the end or toward the end of the church age, how the church would be like a giant that would just be covered and would be bound and would start to make a move to stand up and take its place and would start walking the way it should. Now, I'm not saying there aren't people that are already walking the way they should. But he talked about it as more of a universal type of thing where the church as a whole, people who really do believe, would rise up and cast off the dirt and the dust and the works of darkness that has crept into their lives, and they would start walking in a way that would be glorious. Notice this in Romans, the uh, 13th chapter. And to me, this verse of Scripture is, I don't want to say weird because it's inspired by God. It's kind of like, you know, have you ever talked with somebody before and they're talking about something and all of a sudden they're just say something totally random? Somebody's like, yeah. Uh, we probably all do that at some point. We're just, and all of a sudden, we're way over here. Some people maybe have more of a tendency to do it than others. But if you're reading this whole book of Romans, just kind of how it reads, you know, about people under the law, Jews, and about Gentiles who don't know God, and he goes back and forth, and then talks about people receiving eternal life, and, and he just goes back and forth and back and forth, and then about the eighth chapter, he starts talking more exclusively about believers and their place and their position, and he just keeps reading or writing, and as you read through, it's more about believers, and believers. There's little bits of the other, but then all of a sudden, you know, he's talking about how believers should walk in love, and then all of a sudden it's like, he just throws this in. And it's like, where did these verses of Scripture come from? Because he's talking about uh, being spiritually minded, and all these things, and walking in this great place, and then, and then all of a sudden, just, it's like, uh, what is this? Verse 11. And then he just says this after walking in love, talking about loving people and not doing harm. If you really walk in love, you're not going to harm people. Now, you could make that say something the Bible doesn't say. Well, if you walk in love, you won't ever have a war. No. If we walk in love, we may need to attack another country because they may be un unbridled and evil and wicked. And love would compel us to stop that. Are you with me? And so when he says love works no ill to his neighbor, I remember, and I wasn't going to tell this, years ago I was dating this one girl, and I knew I shouldn't be with her. And it was so wild. I said, God, I just don't want to hurt her. I just don't want to hurt her. And you know, he quoted this verse to me. He said, love works no ill to its neighbor. And I went, oh, can't, couldn't even say that to him anymore. I was like, there is no option left but to call it off. And, and your flesh can go, but wait a minute, or your mind. And so I had to. I needed to anyway. 
But isn't it interesting, God can take some of our excuses away. And some of them are pretty good and valid until they've got the light of the gospel on them. And everybody said, oh me. I mean, amen, right? Verse 11, and he just throws this out there. And knowing the time that now it is high time. What? He basically said, knowing what time it is, knowing what time on the, you know, the spiritual clock we're in, he said, it's time to wake up out of sleep. There is no talk like that. There is no nothing like that. It seems like these Romans are, that he, Christians that he's writing to are just going for it. And he just tosses this out there. Just, I mean, you know, just throws it out there. I remember one time we were little kids and we weren't supposed to go to this orange grove, but there was a place you could ride bikes. And I remember these people, these other kids were doing something, so we taunted them back. And out of nowhere, one of them chucked a rock and hit my friend in the head. I mean, it just came out of the blue. And man, we, I remember that's the first time I knew anybody who had to have stitches. I mean, it just came out of the blue. I mean, we're just doing our thing and whack. And that's kind of how this is to me. You're just doing our thing and whack. Knowing the time that now is, it's time to wake up. What are we talking about? Think about waking up. Think about waking up. You first have to go to sleep. You ever had kids? Ever seen a kid? Ever been a kid? Okay, I knew I'd get some people eventually. But you ever seen kids, you know, they're in the car, it's been a long day, they've been doing what they, you know, they've been doing all the stuff they're supposed to do, and you're like, are you tired? No. No. You know, and they do that when they're eating, no. I'm not. No. You want to stay up for a long time? Yes. You know this, before you go to sleep, you get tired. Because you ever tried to lay down and go to sleep and you're not tired? It's like, oh, this is not the time. But notice for them, he said, you need to wake up. There were people there that had to wake up. So that means they had to go to sleep. And he said, because of the time that now is, knowing, knowing the time, he said, for now our salvation is nearer than when we first believed. He said, we're approaching the day of the Lord's return. And since we know that these things are happening, and you could be told that and people can sleep on. But he's like, it's time to wake up. And he said, the night is far spent. The day is at hand. That's an illustration you could say it like this, dawn is about 6.30, let's say here, or something like that. So he's basically saying night has been going. It's not 1 o'clock in the morning. It's not 3 o'clock in the morning. It's not 4 o'clock in the morning. It's not 5 o'clock in the morning. It's not just 5.30. It's getting closer to that time. You know, it's like 6 o'clock, and let's say dawn is at 6.30. He said, the night's far spent. You know, Jesus used illustrations like that in his preaching. He said, go compel people to come and work in the field. And he said, some came in at one time. And then he uses a clock as an illustration about there would be people who would come in at 11 o'clock and 12 o'clock it would be over. And so he says here, the night is far spent. Isn't it interesting that, uh, that in the middle of the night, it doesn't always look like morning right away. You know what I mean? But when you start getting close to dawn, all of a sudden you can see a little bit of a glow. And, there's, but, and, and then it comes like that. And he said, the night is far spent. He said, there's a need to awake. He said, the night is far spent. The day is at hand. Therefore, he said, let us... Not God, let us 
cast off the works of darkness. Now you understand I'm talking as, as the church as a whole. This doesn't mean that everybody has to cast something off. But this may be a picture of the church as a whole and a call for the church as a whole. Because what if we are living in the last days and we're watching things unfold and prep right in front of our eyes and we're going on as though life will go on for another 50 years? I've heard that before. Do you know that that is a sign from the book of Peter that will happen at the end? People say, I've heard that for a long time. And then it will happen. Therefore, let us cast off the works of darkness. That's something I do. And let us put on the armor of light. Or you, I wonder if you could change the word and say uh, light for armor. Because he calls it the armor of light dealing with darkness. And he said, let us walk properly or upright as in the day, not in revelry, parties and drunkenness, not in lewdness, sexual deviances, and lusts, which can mean sexual, but they can be anything that is a forbidden desire. That's what lust is. In a, lust can be positive and lust can be negative. The negative lust is wanting something God doesn't want. Positive lust is wanting something strong God does want. Because the Bible said his spirit lusts enviously in you. Well, that's not negative. And it says, let us walk properly, not doing these different things, not in strife, not in envy. Isn't it interesting? He put strife and envy. And do you know that strife and envy is something that when we sleep, we do, not when we're awake spiritually? Why is that? Because strife and envy uh, creates uh, a, an evil atmosphere. James said it like this, where envy and strife is, there is confusion in every evil work. So this means that love is part of this awakening. Where envy and strife is, it opens up the door for wrong. And we're talking about uh, something greater happening than has ever happened on the earth before the Lord comes. And he's inviting everybody to be a part of it. And there are people probably standing in the right place, doing the right things, executing the right things, and recognize the light and the glory of God. But I don't know about you, there's probably more. And it says, therefore, verse 14, put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to fulfill its desires. Let's close in this verse, Ephesians 5. Everybody okay? Ephesians, the fifth chapter. There is a cool invitation right here about awakening or rising up. And you know, Samson rose up that day. And... and Samson had compromised. That doesn't mean everybody's compromising. But these verses just seem to stand out, especially that one in Romans. And it's interesting that this type of talk is in the New Testament. What does God want for the body of Christ in these days? He wants it to be phenomenal for you and the world. Even if the world does not receive, he doesn't want them to be able to turn to their gods and go, look at our gods or something. In comparison to the living God, their false gods are nothing. But when we're not showing them the right things, then what do they have to compare with? You know, T.L. Osborne, who was a great missionary, went to India to be, be a missionary and change the world, he said. He said they were there for, with he and his wife for 10 months. And he said he used to open up the Bible and try to witness to the people. And he said, Jesus is the living Savior. And they would say, no, no, no. And he said, but it says right here in the book. And they said, well, here's our book, the Holy Quran. Look. 
And he said, I was at an impasse. He said, I'm making an embarrassment of the church, Lord, and myself and my wife. We need to get out of here. And in 10 months, they went back to the United States. And then he said, Lord, what are we going to do? Because he said, I know you personally. I know you're alive. I know who you are. He said, I, but I don't know what to do. You know, they're saying one thing. I'm showing another thing. And he said, literally, long story short, he actually, the Lord, appeared to him in his bedroom. And he said he was basically just crying, but he said it wasn't tears, just water was gushing out of my eyes. And he said, and after the Lord appeared to him, he walked or crawled out of his room into a study room, and he said he sat there for several hours till he could get up and make it out into the kitchen or living room where his wife was. And he said this after all of it was done. He said, the greatest thing is, he said, I know I serve a living God who's alive today. And he knew God would back him up. And from there, he started pursuing the word to follow God with all of his might. And then he became a tremendous instrument for God. I mean, tremendous. And he went back to those countries and saw all kinds of miracles happen. But see, he's a fragment of us. We don't have to wait for the Lord to appear to us. We just need to know if we're walking in the light and doing what we should, then there will be a radiance that will start inside of you. That will overcome any darkness. When we rise up and do as we need to do, we can be bold and know that God will give us divine light, divine revelation inside, and something in us that is God, when we've received him, will be greater through us. Are you with me? Instead of the powers of the enemy overcoming, we will walk with divine life and light to overcome. We're going to read this verse right here. Uh, remember Ephesians the fifth chapter, and this is it. Verse 14. It says, Therefore, he says, Awake, you who sleep. Arise from among the dead. Notice you're not dead, just sleeping. And Christ will give you light. That is a phenomenal verse of Scripture. Because he said, anybody who responds to me and walks in what they know, more divine life, light, and revelation will start happening inside of that person. Just like Samson was the only one who knew his secret. You may be the only one who knows your secret. And when you say, I'm not going to compromise that because I know this and I'm the only one who knows that secret. And there are a lot of truths like that. There are some things God just won't reveal to other people about you. Some things he might. But they're just secrets between you and him. And when you do what you know, he said, more light will come forth. I don't know about you, but he's talking about spiritual light. And that doesn't mean everybody's in this position, but it is a wonderful thing to know that anybody who walks in the light they have and, and does what they know to do, more divine light and life will come in them and shine through them and direct their path.